Lord, we are here this morning, uh, not for us or for our preferences or our desires or our, our way. Uh, we, we don't want our way today. Uh, we believe and declare that you are, you are king. Um, and we're here at Broadway today because each of us have had an experience of your love for us. That you, our king, died for us. Um, and so we are, are here today to, to put aside our, um, our way, to put aside our, our preferences and to prefer the other, to prefer our neighbor, because we are all here together to submit to you, our king. Amen? Today, uh, we're talking about uh, uncommon unity. This is one of the characteristics of our church, and this is uh, one of my favorite topics. And much of what you hear today, if you've been at Broadway the last six years, uh, much of what you hear today, you've, you've heard before in one way or another from per- some perspective or another. And uh, just already today, as I've had some conversations with people about, you know, our, our desires and our preferences and that sort of thing, it, God is going to remind us today in some really powerful ways, uh, the ways that our differences, uh, the different perspectives that we have, um, our various opinions and, and ways that we see the world, that all of these things, when, when we come together as a church as one body, that there's, uh, there's power in that. There is... Um, an opportunity for our own spiritual formation and, and becoming more like Christ when we put something aside that we want or desire for the sake of our neighbor. And so I, I love uh, this topic and this particular characteristic of our church of uncommon unity. So I'd like for you to sing with me again with that in mind. He is king. You guys heard for a moment ago why I'm not our worship leader. Um, I'll do my best here, but you can pick me up, okay? And with all that in mind, as we look around today and we see our various differences, we are all together joining in this song, He is King. people could live together with him and in peace and in friendship and in love with one another. God made us to be with him. God made us to be with one another and to enjoy our life together with others. And God made us to live at peace with our own selves, with our own hearts. Uh, There are at least three different relationships that we see in Genesis that were intended to be at peace, and we could describe them in in this way. 
Our relationship with God was intended to be God with us. That we were intended to live, me and you, together. And we were intended to live as, as an I before God, as, as someone who knows who they are in God's, uh, as people made in God's image and people for whom the Father loves. But the Bible tells us that human sin and disobedience created this great, this great rupture. Uh, C.S. Lewis calls it the great divorce. And everything that was meant to be together was fractured. There was this ripping apart of what God intended to be bound up together. Adam and Eve sinned, and immediately they were ashamed. They hid, from them, uh, uh, they hid themselves from one another and from God. They were supposed to enjoy God with us, but instead they hid away from God. They were supposed to experience this being naked and unashamed with one another, and instead they hid from one another. And as Genesis 3 and Genesis 4 unfold, and as the rest of the Bible unfolds, we see the way that human sin rips apart everything that God intended to be joined together. Adam and Eve have to leave the Garden of Eden, that perfect place in God's creation where they were to enjoy God's presence. In Genesis 4, we have the story of Cain and Abel, and that, that story has a terrible and a dark ending. We find out that, there's, that sin doesn't just cause us to hide and to, to cower away from God and from other people, but it also creates animosity and anger and hatred in human beings towards one another and towards God. This great rupture ripped apart, and when that happened, each of our relationships that were meant to be joined together became different. It became me versus God. It became us versus them, and it became me versus me. What was meant to be unified together is torn apart, and so there is adversity and division where there was meant to be peace and unity. We are looking at the four key characteristics of our church here at Broadway, and the more I've thought about these the last couple of months, the more that I believe and know that God has led us to to name some things that are really, really good. Uh, The more that I've thought about these four things, the more grateful I am for them as our identity markers here for us as a church. Steadfast worship, healing community, uncommon unity, and faithful witness. Steadfast worship is the characteristic that heals that first division. God with us becomes me versus God. Steadfast worship is the calling to heal that division so that we can experience and know God. We talked about worship not as something that we simply do and God is is passive and far away, but that worship is something where we come to know God and where we come to know that we are known by God. Healing community, over the last three weeks, we've been focusing on how we as people are these divided people. Uh, we, we lie to ourselves. We deceive ourselves. Uh, and we need to know that, that that division in our own hearts can be healed. 
uh, through, through self-examination and through the, the work of confession and through our brothers and sisters in Christ who name things and call things out in us, that this me versus me can become this confident I again, where we stand before God as knowing that we are people who have been made in God's image, who are loved by the Father, and people for whom Jesus was willing to die. Uncommon unity. These next three weeks, we're going to be challenged with this us versus them problem. I want to say to you that in the church, that us versus them can become again you and me together through this uncommon unity that God has created in the church. And then fourth, this faithful witness. Uh, We're going to talk about the ways that we serve as witnesses in the world to go and to tell the world the ways they can experience healing in all of those ways. That they can experience in their life God with us. That they can experience a community of of you and me, of togetherness, uh, of real peace between one another. And that each individual person can experience that relationship of I before God. And stand before God through the blood of Jesus. And so we are talking about uh, uncommon unity um, today. And we say at Broadway that we are a diverse community brought together by our shared experience of the love of Jesus, our King, and that we express this uncommon unity by expressing our spiritual gifts and by welcoming each person as a unique bearer of God's image. As we look around the room today, um, you are our unique group of folks. There are some of you in this room that have have very little or almost no money. There are some of you that have a lot of money. Uh, We are black and brown and white. We are Republicans and Democrats and Independents. We are young and we are old. We have people in our church who, um, who maybe never even received a parking ticket and people who have spent many years in prison. We have people who have grown up their whole lives and they can't remember a single time when Jesus wasn't a part of their life. Jesus was always in some way a part of their lives because of the family that they grew up in. And we have followers of Jesus who remember very well the ways that they had ignored Jesus and pushed him out of their life and came to to Christ much later as adults. We have people from incredibly diverse faith backgrounds. People who grew up nominally Christian or atheist. Uh, You've got a Baptist up here preaching to you. Lutherans and Methodists and Catholics and individuals from Pentecostal backgrounds. We are a church of uncommon unity. And this has been a part of Broadway for over 40 years. But I want to say to you that there's never been and never will there be some sort of diversity strategy that's made that happen. It's been a work of the Spirit. And it's happened in some ways because we are are blessed enough to be in the particular place in downtown Fort Wayne where we're called to be. God placed us in the center of the city, and that's allowed us to have a wide access to a wide different group of people. And so uh, many of you have driven from all different neighborhoods in the city in order to come and to be here today. But more importantly, this diverse community, this uncommon unity has been created because we are committed to the gospel creed, Jesus is king. Jesus 
is king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. This is our diversity strategy. If you commit to Jesus, if you in your life have have chosen to hold tight to him, believe that your whole life should be submitted to him and to his word in your life, then we want you. You are welcome here at Broadway. We have a statement of faith about what we believe, and that does create some boundaries about what we mean when we say Jesus is Lord. But I want to say there is a lot of room, a lot of space to disagree on certain theological distinctives or worship style preferences. You never know what you're going to get on Sunday morning when it comes to music here. It's one thing or it's the other. We have this beautiful opportunity today to come in and to be led by people who understand the way that the Spirit moves and flows in ways that we uh, maybe don't expect. And sometimes we come in here and we sing hymns where we are reminded that we are rooted, we stand strong in particular truths that do not change. And everywhere in between. This is all because we believe at, at Broadway that our differences are... They are hard and they are messy, but that when we, when we seek to learn from the gifts and perspectives of others, it makes us all more like Jesus. One of the things that I've said in the past is that I want Broadway to be a community of people that could not exist if it wasn't for God. That we can be a community of people that would not exist if it wasn't for God. In other words, it's my hope for us as a church that we would be a gathering of people who come together not because we're alike one another. uh, Because we have the same race or socioeconomic backgrounds or because we're similar age or have similar preferences. The church isn't, isn't meant to be a club. The church is a foretaste of this heavenly worship where every tribe and tongue and language and nation will bow before the one God and sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The church is a foretaste, a, a, a small taste now of what it will be like then. So, Broadway, we are a church of uncommon unity. We have an incredible foundation that's been laid for us here over the last 40 years. But I also want us to hear in the next three weeks a challenge that we have a long way to go to be more faithful to this calling of being a church of uncommon unity. And so I want to begin today by looking at two different examples in Scripture that point to the church as a place of uncommon unity, to understand that this is a part of our calling as, as the church. And the first is in the ministry of Jesus, and the second uh, part of Scripture that we're going to look at is the book of Ephesians. So I would encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Luke chapter 8, uh, verses uh, 1 through 3. And these are verses in in the gospel that's very, very easy for us to kind of skim over and get to the red letters. Um, But man, there is so much here in these these three verses about that, that describes the kind of community that Jesus gathered around himself. It says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And then Luke describes the group of people that were traveling around from town to town. And he reminds us, the twelve were with him. 
Now, most of the 12 were common, ordinary fellows. Uh, Jesus found a few of them by lakeside as they were fishing, and he said, come and follow me. And they set down their nets, and they followed him. They committed to follow this Jewish rabbi and to learn his way of life. Uh, Most of the other disciples, we really don't know who they were or what kind of backgrounds they came from, except for two of them. And two of them, the gospel stories tell us who they are. They say Levi, or Matthew, uh, was a tax collector, and Simon was a zealot, a tax collector and a zealot. All the other guys, we really don't know really where they come from, but we know that Matthew was a tax collector and Simon was a zealot. And that is not an accident that we know that about these two men. These two men would have been mortal enemies at this time. They would have hated one another. Matthew was a Jewish man who collected taxes on behalf of the Romans from his brothers and sisters who were Jewish. He went and said, uh, excuse me, my fellow brother Jew, I would like for you to take your money and give it to the men who are occupying your land. He was considered a traitor. This is why Jesus was challenged so often for eating with tax collectors. Simon, on the other hand, was a man who, he was like a freedom fighter. That's what the zealots were. They were freedom fighters. And there was, a, in particular, a group of zealots named the Sakari. They were called the Dagger Men, who would go into a crowd, and they would find a, uh, a Roman leader, and they would, they would just assassinate him in the crowd and then disappear. This is the kind of people that Simon the Zealot hung out with. And then you've got Matthew the tax collector, the traitor to the Jewish people. You can only imagine what like, the conversations around the campfire were like at night. And just imagine the, the political differences in our country. Um, yeah, Elizabeth Warren and Ben Shapiro hanging out. And then multiply that times like 10. Like that's how different these two, two men were. And here they are, and they've chosen to gather and to follow this one man named Jesus. So the 12 were with him, and also, listen to this crew, Also, some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. And Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So we have have women that... (laughs) that would have been outcasts in this society, women who um, had diseases. Mary Magdalene uh, could have been a prostitute, but she certainly had demons um, set free from her. And then hanging out with that kind of people is this, this woman named Joanna, who is the wife of the king's chief of staff. And then Susanna, and we don't know exactly who she is, but she must have been uh, well-known to the people who, were writing, who Luke was writing to her. He wouldn't have mentioned her name. 
and also many other wealthy women who are supporting their ministry. This is exhibit A of the kingdom of God. From the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus is saying to the world, I am gathering anyone from any background at all who will come to me. This is the unique group of people that points to what the kingdom of God is all about. He is king. He to the book of Ephesians. If you've been at Broadway over the last six years, you know the affection that I have for the book of Ephesians. It's a book that changed my life a dozen years or so ago when I was serving as a pastor in a church, but wasn't really sure if that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life. If it wasn't for the book of Ephesians, I'm not sure if I would be a pastor at Broadway today. The book of Ephesians opened my eyes to God's plan and purpose for the church in a way that gave me a new and fresh vision for what it means to be a pastor and what it means for the church, uh, what the church is all about. So I've had to to narrow down the verses um, of Ephesians that we're going to look at to to four today. Um, Otherwise, we'd be here for a while. But four verses in Ephesians that I think speak to this calling that we have at Broadway to be a church of uncommon unity. First is Ephesians 1, verses 9 through 10. Paul writes, He, that is God, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ. And I've underlined and bolded purposed there. Which He purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. So, just so you know here, Paul is about to tell you God's will. This is his plan for your life. This is his plan for the entire world. This is it. To bring unity, to bring together all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's what your life is moving toward. That's what all creation is moving toward, that we would all be together, unified under one head, that is Jesus Christ. This is the way that Paul describes the great healing to the great rupture that happened in Genesis 1. That all things are being, and in the end, finally will be, brought together under one authority, Jesus. This is where history is going. This is where your life is going. We are moving toward this together. We are being brought together under the authority of Jesus. The book of Ephesians tells us that all things will one day be brought under the authority of Jesus. In Paul's own ministry, flip the page to Ephesians chapter 2. He sees that one of the ways that God is bringing about this healing in the life of the church is that Jews and Gentiles were being called to worship God together. That one of the ways 
that this healing is being put into effect, that we are experiencing a foretaste now of what God plans for the end is that Jews and Gentiles were worshiping together. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. Paul, in the, the previous two verses, talks about the ways that Gentiles and, uh, were, were excluded from the family of God. But then in verse 13, he says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you, that is you Gentiles, I think all of us are Gentiles here, most of us anyways, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two, these two different groups of people, Jew and Gentile, one. And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death his hostility, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. I want to suggest to you that these verses, Paul spent his entire life declaring this message. He spent his life trying to get Jews and Gentiles to come together and worship, to see that Christ has destroyed the barrier between them. And a whole lot of the life of the early church, if you read the book of Acts or Galatians or, or Romans, you see that this is, was a question that the early church wrestled with. How is it that we as Jewish people and how is it that the Jewish Messiah have welcomed in Gentiles? How can we make space, make room for the Gentiles that have come to worship Jesus as well? And it was messy and it wasn't easy, but this was a struggle in the life of the early church for Jewish Christians to learn how to make space for Gentiles, how to prefer the other, how to prefer the Gentiles among them. Now, there were probably very few of us who woke up this morning wondering about Jews and Gentiles. I mean, did anyone wake up this morning wondering about that? Jeff might be one, I don't know. Maybe a few others. But very few of us woke up this morning worried about coming into church where we're worshiping Jesus and have this question about Jews and Gentiles in the back of our mind. But I want to say to you that there are many others of you who did wake up this morning feeling your difference in coming here. Feeling that you weren't quite the same as everyone else. There are some of you who who live in other parts of town, in suburban parts of town, and you've chosen to make Broadway your home church. Uh, And you could have have chosen 10 different churches that were quicker to get to uh, that would have had a lot more people that were like you, Um, Maybe some people who um, could help you in some of your your business deals or whatever it might be. And that happens. But you've chosen to come here because you know that this is a place where we recognize and acknowledge our difference. And that you might have to put aside some things, some of your preferences, in order to be here. There are some of you today who who struggle with mental illness And you came here today not knowing how you might be received, uh, feeling like maybe people will reject you in one way or another, but you have come here today 
and you've trusted us with your struggle. I've been in my life to, uh, to three black churches in my life, and I've never felt so white as in that two-hour time frame. So if you are a black or Hispanic and you came here today when you could have gone someplace else that was more comfortable for you, to a place where your pastor spoke more directly to the concerns and issues that are facing you in your life, I thank you that you've made space for me. You've made space for us. This morning, if you came here and it was a challenge for you in one way or another, because Broadway is a place where you, you know that people just aren't always just like you, and I think that's all of us, because we come here and everyone is just a little bit different. If you felt that way today, if you had that feeling, I want to say you are my hero Because you are living out Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 18 in a very real way. You believe that he himself is our peace. And that his purpose was to create in all of our differences one group of people who say Jesus is king. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. Paul writes this, God's intent was that now, through the church, that is this group of diverse people, Jew and Gentile, male and free, uh, male and female, slave and free, red and yellow, black and white, his intent that was now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose. What was his eternal purpose? To bring all things together under one head, Jesus. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. These are the two verses that changed my life. They helped me to see that the church is not simply a place for me to come to, to kind of get my spiritual batteries recharged. It's not a place that I come to in order to listen to the music that I want to listen to. It's not a place that I come to in order to be with people that I necessarily would most like to hang out with. The church is a place where when we come together and we recognize those differences and prefer the other, that as we do that and give glory to God, we say Jesus is king. We are a demonstration to the angels and demons about what God is doing in all of history. Friends, that is a group of people that I can be excited about leading and being a pastor of. That we, when we gather together, that the angels and demons say, Aha, that is what God is doing. That was what God is bringing about for our world. One author said that the church is God's show and tell to the world about what it means to be a human family under the lordship of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4. If we're going to do this, this is really hard and this is really messy work. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, this is the instructions that Paul gives to us. Keep the unity. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What was our calling? To demonstrate to the world to the, and to the angels and demons of what God's plan and purpose for the world is. This is the, the life worthy of that calling. 
Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because our church is a place of some diversity, every one of us has to give up some things to be here. Give up some preferences. We have to prefer the other. We have to be humble and to bear with others. Your life as a follower of Jesus and your measure of of how that's going is not simply to ask the question, how am I doing? How is my personal quiet time? It is to ask the question, how are we doing? How is this particular community that I am a part of doing in relating to one another as followers of Jesus in the midst of these differences? Are our differences enhancing our community or is it causing our community to break down? Am I allowing the differences between me and you to get in the way or to be an opportunity for me to be more like Jesus? How am I doing in that mix? Am I playing my part? Do I see myself as one part of the body? And even though I am not an eye, appreciate what the eye does and what the eye sees. Like the Jewish Christians in the early church who had to make space for those who were different than them. Making space for others. Making space for difference in the church is one of the most important things that we can learn to do. Am I doing my part to make space for other people? Am I doing my part to make this a place of belonging for those who are different than me? Paul is telling us that if we're going to be a demonstration to the world, if God is going to use us as his visible show and tell to the world, then we need to focus. We need to ask the question about these me and you relationships and make sure that we break down the walls of us versus them. And I love these, these three verses in Ephesians because anyone here can do this. You don't have to be a pastor or a leader. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be poor. Anyone can... Strive to be humble and gentle and patient with other people. Every one of us are able to do this. Broadway is a church of uncommon unity, but I want to say we do have a long way to go to move toward what we've been talking about today. In his book, Fellowship of Difference, Scott McKnight gives an illustration about the calling of the church, and I I just think it's brilliant. He says that there are three different ways to eat a salad. Way number one is to put all of the different ingredients into a bowl and to just smother it with ranch dressing so that everything tastes like ranch dressing. Everything tastes, the other tomatoes taste like like ranch, the lettuce tastes like ranch, the cheese tastes like ranch. Everything tastes like ranch. He says another way, and this would be a weird way, but another way to eat a salad is that you could take all of the ingredients and put it on a plate and put the lettuce over here and the tomatoes over here and the carrots over here and then eat it that way with them all divided. But the right way to eat a salad is to put all of the ingredients into a bowl and to mix them up and to put a little bit of oil and maybe a little bit of salt, and allow the variety of those tastes, the differences in that bowl, to complement and enhance one another. You see where he's going? 
The calling of the church is to be like this, to be like that way, to eat a salad, to allow our difference, our variety, when anointed with the oil of the Spirit, for our various tastes and flavors to join together to be something greater than it would be on our own. The other two ways of being the church are way easier and they're less messy, and they're more comfortable to everyone. And I think most of the Christian church in America is like that, that second way where we separate on Sunday mornings. And all the tomatoes go over there, and all the lettuce goes over there, and all the carrots go over there, and all the nuts go over to Broadway. <laughs> that just came to me just now. The first joke I've ever written in the moment. Praise the Lord. Glory God. I think most of the Christian church in America is like that, that way of, of being separate on the plate. And I, I think that Broadway, that we're a little bit more like the first way. We're all here in the same bowl, but I do wonder if we've just kind of smothered over everyone with ranch. You can come here and be a part of us as long as you don't make me feel that uncomfortable, as long as you don't make us taste much different. Do you get what I'm saying? And in order for us to be... Our uniqueness is where the beauty and the taste really lies. And what's required if we're going to be that kind of people who live in that kind of salad bowl is to understand yourself, to know yourself, to know your particular golden calves, to know your particular idols, to know your particular preferences, to know that there's things in your life that you tend to think and to put in a place that's more important than it really is to know your particular perspective, and to be aware that that's the lens that you see the world in. And that's okay. Every single one of us have it. There's not a single one of us in the room today who doesn't have a preference, who doesn't wish that music on Sunday morning was a little bit different, or wish that Pastor Ryan preached a little bit different, or whatever it might be. We all have our preferences. We all have our lenses through which we see the world. And so it's understanding that knowing how I, I make something like on a scale of one to an eight, when maybe it's just a two. It's in those differences and those varying giftednesses where we begin to become a church that really tastes better than the world. Jesus is king, and that's what brings us together. So friends, I want to talk about this uh, challenge that we have of uncommon unity, because friends, people in our world, people sitting next to you, long to come to a place where they can, they can be their, their broken and their whole selves, and to be accepted and experience belonging there. Whether they are married or whether they are single, whether they are older or whether they are younger whether they're poor or rich, to have a place where they can come and know that they belong. 
And the hyper-individualism of our American culture just creates this sense of independence and isolation, and it's creating a deep, deep loneliness in all of us. I heard recently that, that in Great Britain that Theresa May uh, established a, a minister for loneliness. They were in their research finding so much that so many people were lonely that they designated a political post to address the issue. I, I think we're further along than Great Britain is in this sense of loneliness and isolation that many of us experience, and certainly your neighbors experience. So we need to to move in to the lives of the people who are next to us, move into the lives of our neighbors, move into the lives of our other brothers and sisters who declare Jesus as king, and to listen to them, and to pay attention to them, to help them see our flaws and our mistakes and our perspectives, and to help us to help them to help us see better. We can't know ourselves by ourselves, right? To help them to help us see better the lenses through which we see the world. I, mean, I just had a list of people here today of of people who I just really shouldn't really be friends with. but have just deep affection for. Uh, Nick Easterday. Um, where is Nick here today? He's up there. Um, we're way different. He, he knows what a carburetor is, and I don't. I, I don't want to know. I, I don't care to know. I know it goes in my car, and my car doesn't run without it, but I don't really care, and he knows all about them. And a couple months ago, he sent me a text and said, Hey, Ryan, I, I don't know what's up, but something's wrong. Are you okay? This list is beautiful to me. Gary Hall. Man, he and I have fought and argued. I love that brother. Simps. Um, Grew up at a boarding school in South Africa, and I went to high school in literally small town USA. The song Small Town by John Cougar Mellencamp was written about my hometown. (laughs) And here we are with just deep affection for each other. Lena Tomei. We were at her house one night and uh, having dinner, and she got a phone call And it was her family in Syria, and she's talking to them, and she just goes, I can hear the bombs going off in the background. For me to better understand the situation that's happening in that part of the world, I wouldn't know if it wasn't for Lena. So many on this list. Friends, if we... If we... um, Put the lettuce over here, and the tomatoes over here, and the carrots over here, and the nuts over here. Um, friends, we're, we're not going to have that experience that I've just described. And if we just put everything in and pour the ranch dressing over just so everyone kind of looks the same and smells the same and tastes the same and thinks the same, we're going to miss the beauty 
of our variety, in our difference, in our various giftings, in our various perspectives. So friends, I, I want to say to you, this is messy. Like if we really go into these places, it's, it's messy. It's, it's not clean and it's not easy. I, I, I'm up here um, like crying in joy about it, but it's, it's not been easy in really any of those relationships. It doesn't just come. It requires commitment. It requires us to love one another. It requires us to say Jesus is king. My preferences aren't king. And I want to say also that it's not for everyone. This is our particular calling at Broadway. Other churches are called to express and be faithful to Ephesians 2 and all of that as well, but we have a particular unique call. This is one of our distinctive characteristics of discipleship here at Broadway, that we are called to pursue an uncommon unity, not by our own plans and devices, but through the work of the Spirit as we submit to Jesus as King. Let's pray. Father, we... um, we thank you that the, the foundation for this kind of community has already been laid for us by, by leaders and members of this church for the last 40 plus years. We thank you for people who have set aside their preferences for their way of doing things in order to somehow better be the kind of people whose differences enhance one another. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to be more and more this kind of community. We cannot do this on our own. We need the help of your spirit to lead us there and to help us sit and to to help us sit in the messiness of it all. So Lord, we, we ask for your help and we do ask that more and more that you would make us this kind of community that's described in your word and that we believe we're being called to. We pray these things in the name of Jesus the King. Amen.